for October 9th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 797. Do you even care about going to college, Sabine? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. Never happier than when we're rebelling. Against what? I don't know. Tell, tell me something. Say anything. I'll, I'll rebel against it. You know, say, say the most eminently reasonable, humane, and, uh, you know, perfectly thought out proposition. And I'll rebel. I'll rebel against that thing. We're rebels. We're rebels. You can take the, the rebel out of the rebellion, but you can't take the rebellion out of the rebel. I'm Grand High Admiral Matt Rather. I'm here to, to comment, command this. <laughs> command this podcast you've had like a psychic break you've like your brain has hit its limit of star wars and you've had a mental breakdown (laughs) i've seen i i watched a star war i think you all you all watched a star war uh here uh here is is uh general general peter fenzel organa Uh, welcome to the show i hello matt i'm in rebellion against aioli it's absurd it's absolutely absurd. And here's uh and here's Jedi Master Mark Lee. Mark, uh, welcome. I'm rebelling against the order and standard Jedi operating procedures. I don't have time for that. Are those written, written down in books? <laughs> you know, <laughs> ancient books. Funny you just mention. Not really. They're really lousy with like you know knowledge management and Star Wars things. People, people keep forgetting things. It's all legend, man. Okay. So those, so here's, those books were way too thin. The whole knowledge management department. It's like those books are really thick. The ones that tell you how to like actually do your job. Go yeah. to where the gravity is. There will your planet be. You see, like that's that's you know what that is. That's institutional knowledge. That's instant. And when you lay that guy off. Right. Yep. Because yep. he's just been he's just been collecting his cost of living raises for for decades, <laughs> for centuries, really. Yep. Right. Yep. Like he's the most yep. overpaid Four thousand vacation days in the bank, man. Could have spent many day now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like uh, when you lay him off, that's just that's just going to go. You know, yeah. the 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 in in traditions. Um, with, with, uh, with, or in oral traditions, when the sort of the shaman or whoever the keeper of the oral tradition is dies, um, you know, uh, they say it's like a library burning down when that person who kind of carries the ancestral memory of the group dies. It's like a library you know, burns Matt, down. And when Yoda, when Yoda passed on, you know, hmm. and became a force ghost, no one could fix the toilets anymore because they, they didn't have manuals for how the plumbing works in all of their uh, bases and ships and anything like that. You know, they just had to like force move all the poop away and like fling it into the vacuum of space. Yeah. Matt, I have something important to tell you. Okay? Yeah. The way you're kind of just, you know, tossing out a casualty reference to a library burning down. Um, well, you should know in the video game Jedi Fallen Order, which, by the way, is canon, um, the Jedi Archives do, in fact, 
burn. Okay, so you're not fully caught up on your Star Wars, clearly, Matt. Okay, oh, got you probably it. haven't played. You probably haven't played Jedi Fallen Order either, where um, the Night Witches of Dathomir are extensively explored, and also, um, you know, and as well the Zepho and yeah. the ancient Force users. All this is really important to the show, Matt. You, you didn't do your homework. You didn't come prepared, huh? I'd huh? like to. I'd Never like to me? explore some Night Witches of Dathomir, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I, that's what I'd like to do. I thought that wait, I thought that this problem was solved because like Ray Ray uh saved like six books, six like journals from from uh from Luke's Island when it uh when it burned down on the island planet of of uh where wherever he was, the island planet. Cuz in Star Wars planets, we all know planets can only be one thing. Listen. Yeah. Listen, we're here to do a podcast. We're not here to explore the dissolution of my mind from watching <laughs> too much Star Wars. Uh we uh we all have seen the television show Ahsoka. And uh, we are going to talk about it. We are going to talk about it now. And it seems like there's no better place to start than Ahsoka Tano, uh, played by Rosario Dawson in this uh, in this thing. Pete, kick us off. What did you think of uh, of Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano? So for me, right, the inciting incident in in the meta text for why this show exists is the performance by Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano in the show The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Now, you could argue when this show... Now, this will be spoilers for the Ahsoka show, but be honest with yourself if you were ever going to watch it. If you were never going to watch it, the conversation will probably still be interesting. But if you haven't watched it, go watch it. There are spoilers uh, and and enjoy yourself. I wish that Disney Plus had a two-time speed option. But uh, so you can, <laughs> so you watching can, this in two days was rough. You can listen to it. You can you can watch it the same way you listen to the podcast with, yes. you know, uh, with Pete at hyperspeed. Was, was that also a dig of the show being slow? Because it felt kind of slow. Oh, yeah. There's just a lot of, of contemplation of objects. We'll get into that more often. But there's the, just lots of like the whole the whole. Here. I'm sorry. Let's start at the first sequence. Right. Oh, yeah. Like the, the first sequence. It's about four minutes long. And she walks into a room and looks around it. And yes. that's that's the action. That's the dramatic action. But like, Matt, even there are re- important references to the ancient Zepho artifacts. You're missing out on all the lore, man. Dude, I've been to a little thing called acting school. And yes. what acting school does to you is it makes you take common, you know, behaviors, common things that you just do in life and stretch them out to excruciating length to uh just kind of like explore every single moment different feeling kind of change in direction of the winds every phenomenon of consciousness that attends like looking at your watch or stirring a cup of coffee or waiting for a train or what you know whatever it is right and i feel like everyone in this movie was in acting school i'm sorry pete i'm taking i'm taking your i'm taking your thunder here Hundo P. This is the acting. <laughs> this is the actingest school movie Wait, I have no, ever, no. a TV show I've ever seen. Pete, ironically, Hundo P. was the one character who I, <laughs> who I don't think was who actually really was in the moment hundo, hundo was my boy <laughs> is, wait is hundo actually in a name of a character in no. the show no okay. it's not I, you, you would I, you could have been right and i wouldn't have known 
Um, but yes, this is the actingest school TV show I've ever seen, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad. Uh, but what it definitely does is just stretch out. So, okay. Uh, uh, we'll talk about Rosario Dawson a bit. Let's table it. Let's talk about the most important thing, which is the ball, the balls, uh, not the balls, but like, see, now we're all going to get kicked out for the show. And, and then all the institutional knowledge will be lost, which is all of the scenes of people with nothing to say. And you, and it really, it really raises the question of why they have nothing to say. Is it really that we are watching these characters go through choices because they're going to be doing stuff that's going to be important? And there's this sort of battle with the idea of a Star Wars plot being kind of not human enough. And so we really need to spend kind of quiet, pensive human moments with these people to sort of feel what they feel and experience what they experience. Is there an aesthetic choice happening here that all of these just scenes in rooms with stuff take forever? And also just all of these things where it's like they look at the thing, beat choice, right? You look at the thing like beat choice and it's not like the choices are funny you know they're not takes this is just like it's like it's like i am winding up and then i'm telling you what i think about this thing that was in my backpack right and it's Mm -hmm. like oh there's no one watching me there's no one like that would interpret this facial expression but i'm on stage right it's like oh i feel this way about this thing in my backpack um and again this is not something that's always useless but the other the other question is or is there just not enough scripts for a 45 minute episode right like did they just not write enough words uh which it seems like such a philistine thing to say but there's just there's so many scenes in this show where there isn't enough action to justify the nonverbal things that are happening, right? So it's like, even if it's like, I walk into the room, the main thing Ahsoka, in a particular scene, Ahsoka needs to walk into a room, her 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 underling, her run, her Renfield, her Padawan, her, uh, her, her protege, Sabine, ha- has left. And, uh, and what a, um, and what she wants to discover is that her Padawan was looking at the hologram of like the old friend who's been gone. Like that's the one piece of information that's going to be discovered in this thing. And it's like she walks into the room, she looks around, she sees the thing, she feels seeing the thing. And it's like, do we really need to have this whole scene just for this one piece of information? It feels like if the show had more happening, there would be more action to take and more of this nonverbal acting could be done in service of a particular action, right? Uh, but it's not. Um, and that's a, just a real aesthetic value of the show that maybe rubs you the right way and maybe rubs you the wrong way. Yeah. Um, My thing related to that, by the way, is the many repeated scenes of characters all like looking out into the distance or like a, at a viewfinder and like, you know, just like holding the pose and then like, you know, saying a few lines of dialogue, like not facing each other, but all like looking out into the distance and just like being very formal and centurion about things and it drove me kind of nuts that's hard though that's (laughs) like that's modern movie making where it's all done in a in a giant green box right like it's hard to uh it's hard to to you know i don't know do that like my my i 
I saw scenes in this movie and for real, I wondered what order they were shot in and whether the order they were presented in what, I mean, like the order of the takes, like the, the order of the, like the characters reacting to each other was in fact the order that they were shot in. Like Balin in particular, like, uh, I mean, the, the man could make a meal out of like moving his eyes 20 degrees, you know, it was, it was an astonishing, yeah. you know, it was like all day long. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, Great, great film acting. But then, like, it, it happened at weird points in other characters' dialogue, you know? And I was, <laughs> I was trying to think of, like, you know, we have to go to the store to pick up rice, beans, cilantro. And then Balin's eyes shift from one side to the other. And you cut back to the other character saying, <laughs> and chicken. You know, and that's like the, and, and it's, and I was like, what, what I, I, you know, I understand. Look, like I, you know, I, I did, did like intro film studies in, in college, like everybody else. Like I, I like, I understand Eisenstein, like montage makes a difference. You have the, the person with the blank expression, you cut away to a cute baby. You think the, the guy is happy about the baby. You cut away to like a, I don't know, a, a, a house blowing up. You think the guy is sad about the house blowing up. You cut away to, a, you know, like it, the, the meaning is created through the juxtaposition position of images in in a film this is actually one of the primary ways that films create meaning but i was so perplexed i was so perplexed by so many of the cutting choices in this uh in this particular film we keep saying we keep saying film um yeah. it's a film in the sense that it's it's you know uh, shot on cameras but like uh it is a television series of eight episodes each about uh, what 45 or 50 minutes so it's 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 what a seven hour would be a seven hour film. It's like uh Bertolucci's yeah. Novacento and it's in its most unexpurgated uh, uh, realization. Um, so yeah, it, it is bringing that mini series energy. Like it's bringing that like North and South, like epic television event energy to its performances. I think, I think there's a, there's an extent to which it feels like a movie that is more than just, uh, the fact that it's shot with cameras. Uh, but yes, it's it's the anti-prequels in that both of them are taking place in big green rooms where none of the surroundings are actually there. But in the prequels, everyone's just talking the whole time. And in this one, it's like everyone is feeling the whole time. Right. But the editor is trying to put all the feelings together after like they've been scattered in a jigsaw puzzle box after all the shots have been taken. And it's uh, it does sometimes uh, sometimes not quite fit. Um, but yeah, but anyway, um, sorry, Mark, did you want to say something? No, no, no. Tell, tell us about, uh, let's go back to what we're, we're talking yeah, yeah. about. Well, this is, great, this is a great, show. actually, this is a great jumping off point because there are, this is not without reason. This is not without purpose. So here's my notion of this show. And you guys, you guys feel free, be, have other notions. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Ahsoka Tano, of course, a character from the Clone Wars TV show and the Rebels TV show, a character from, uh, who is the, the apprentice the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker, who becomes Darth Vader and who is a sort of major, major addition to, at this point to Star Wars nostalgia for people who are a bit younger than us, uh, who is, of course, I think one of the what I think one of the heavy hitter female characters in mainstream space opera is Ahsoka Tano, which is weird. It's like a weird, weird that that's a fact. Right. Uh, in terms of over the years, how much cachet she has uh, with people who really like her. And she was performed on The Mandalorian Show in some wonderful, wonderful work by the actress Rosario Dawson. And in particular, there's an episode called The Jedi, right, where 
it's it's sort of a I, I say Yojimbo. I don't know if I have my Kurosawa reference exactly right. Right. But it's a samurai story where the Jedi is sort of what's up through and through. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's a samurai story. And it's reimagining the idea of what a Jedi is uh, going back to the roots of Star Wars being based on, you know, the Hidden Fortress and other Kurosawa films. And it's sort of a samurai story. Uh, and Ahsoka Tano is being presented as a different sort of Jedi than what we've seen so far on screen, which is generally right. All of the different stories about light side Jedi have tended to portray them as really wrestling with being light side Jedi, right? You have like dark side force users. They generally know what they're about. I'm chopping off heads. I'm choking people. I'm laughing. I'm shooting lightning. I'm wearing a fabulous cape. I have a custom lightsaber handle. I have a luxurious beard. <laughs> this is really just becoming a Dooku fan fiction. But no, it's uh, <laughs> there, there was, by the way, in in Ahsoka, there was excellent cape. Uh, this, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, th- what I who is she fighting? It was a robot or something, or I, I forget. You know, never took the mask off, but uh, uh, it took off the cape. Cape just fell right to the ground. Uh, you know, this in a, in a fight, it was like some Dr. Strange level cape that Ahsoka was giving Ahsoka, not the character, the, uh, the, um, the miniseries, the, the, you know, special limited television event. Exactly. So, so we've seen people like Yoda where like, okay, he's like so good at the force and he's so inhuman. He's a, he's literally a Muppet, right? <laughs> that like, you don't really see what a Jedi Knight is like from talking to Yoda. You learn about it, but he's not really an example. And everybody else has been, you know, oh, like I'm a Jedi, but I'm struggling. I'm a Jedi, but this is really hard. I'm a Jedi, but the Jedi Order is decadent and falling apart. And it's also this idea that Jedi are supposed to be self-denying. It's supposed to be ascetic, right? They're supposed to have this, uh, they're supposed to have this dimension of like no attachments, Right. Like they're not supposed to fall in love. And and in particular, it's not just a prohibition to prevent inheritance of their lightsaber by their children. It's that if, <laughs> if they get upset, their job, if they get upset, they turn into horrible, horrible problems. They're the worst gremlins ever. Right. Because like if they get upset, they turn into horrible, horrible problems. And their whole job is to go into the most upsetting situations in the galaxy, often helpless. Right. And so it's like, you know, being a Jedi is like really hard, like actually doing your job as a Jedi is really hard. And again, I don't care about this because of the reality of Star Wars. I care about this because like what we're investigating, what the story is telling, like what are these stories doing and like how do they work? And so what we see from somebody like Qui-Gon Jinn is like, yeah, but I'm, a, I'm not a, I'm not a mom. I'm a cool mom. Right. I'm a cool Jedi. I do cool Jedi stuff like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, we know he trained Darth Vader, so he screwed up. Right. And so like he doesn't quite get there. But the idea that we, when we meet Ahsoka in The Mandalorian, she has this stoic self-possession and real kind of spiritual sense to her, which also probably connects to the Buddhist traditions of samurai and that perform and the performance style in samurai movies, right? Um, where you really, at least for me, really do believe that she's able to stay on the light side because she does the whole meditate thing and the whole detachment thing. And she just does all the stuff that everyone tells all the dudes to do, which they can't do because they can't be bothered to like, you know, not, not be attracted to their babysitter. Right. Like, but like, also like, very importantly, right. She, left the institutional Jedi order. Yes. Because she became disillusioned with it. Yes. But she didn't yes. follow the dark side. She's like a Ronin. She's got yes, a, you know, exactly. serves no yeah. political power. She's kind of out there doing her own thing. But she's like very, very light side of the force. Right? Sure. Like like yeah. all of the stuff that they say about the light side of the force that seems kind of problematic, 
rather than being like, hey, isn't that all problematic? Ahsoka Tano is like, yes, but that's what I do, because if I don't, I will destroy all of you. <laughs> like, I'll become Darth Vader and kill you all, and I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to instead be this person who has a lot of restraint and, and controls myself because, you know, I'm an adult. And in the, in the adult world, I have certain responsibilities. One of them is like freeing this village from this awful daimo, right? Um, so Ahsoka Tano brings this particular sort of stoic energy to the performance. It's a wonderful counterplay against the Mandalorian Western style stoicism, you know, the sort of like I'm on the road and, uh, you know, it's just horses and dust, you know, and, uh, and I'm stoic and I don't have a lot of feelings because I don't like see a lot of people. Right. Like, and I sort of and also, I also can't show my face. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I kind of roll in and out of town. This like detachment, that whole, like I'm outside of society because I use violence. All, all of the different norms of the Western and the samurai are put on display. So then, okay, great. I think it's a wonderful embodiment of, you know, of course, the characters aged a lot. So this is a different sort of character than what you see in the other TV shows. But I think this is a great characterization. They they make this show. They build the show around her. And I think one of the choices they make is they give a lot of characters her energy. Right. Like mm. a lot of the characters have this like stoic, intense, restrained, calm, the sense that like they are not going to let what's happening throw them because they have a plan and they're doing important things. Right. Name and them like, real quick here. Cause I'm not sure. I know if we're thinking about the same people. So, well, even, I mean, the, the key, the key example, which we can get into is her protege, Sabine, who is written as a hothead, but who is performed as a Buddhist monk, right? Like, uh, for, for a lot of the time, hmm. she just sort of sits there looking at her back. Okay. That right? explains a lot about why, like the, the performance didn't land for me. Yeah. That's my vibe. That's my vibe. I, maybe I'm wrong. But, okay, but it's like, but but she's she's Ahsoka's pro, one of one of the big overt themes, or not overt, but one of the big themes of the show is is people is legacy programming, not so much anxiety of influence as like tradition and the individual talent, right? Like if we're looking for our like key work of criticism here, literary criticism to understand this, which is like, you know, if you are brought up with under a particular sort of tutelage, understanding a particular sort of excellence as a thing that you're supposed to be aspiring to, like that is going to be part of you, regardless of the changing of the circumstances that happen around you, changing of your political situation, changing of your kind of financial situation. Like you're going to be pressed upon by the sort of other ideas that you've encountered that have loomed very large and like influenced you a lot. Right. Um, and so like, this is the, you know, the robot says it about his programming. People are constantly saying it about Ahsoka and her tutelage under, Anakin Skywalker. And here we can see she has a protege who studied under her. And because she studied under her, she took on a lot of her mannerisms and her kind of pacing and stuff. But even Lord Balin, right, the sort of pseudo dark Jedi in the story is not a like cackling evil wizard. Right. He's very yeah, methodical, and reserved and burly. He's a square character, not a triangle, right? Like the emperor is. He's not <laughs> a, uh, he's like, I'm square and reliable and I have a big round beard and you don't really know whether I'm 100% a bad guy or not. Like I, maybe I, maybe I have drinks with that guy from Andor sometimes, but we don't really get along, like that kind of thing. Um, I'm not talking about, uh, about uh, Andor himself, but rather the lesser Skarsgård, who is, is the Andor and or uh, adjacent uh, uh, disillusioned man of a certain age. Uh, even his protege, who's kind of the crazy one, is among crazy ones in Star Wars, very reasonable, you know, and very reserved and like doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't even really talk that much. Um, and not like in a Darth Maul way. But like, you know, uh, Hera is the friend who's now moved her way up in the military. And she has this really uh, 
Uh, Matt, how would you describe it? Intimate, personal, compassionate, kind of woman to woman relationship with Ahsoka, which is entirely professional. Yeah, um, no, totally. They definitely, they definitely like they. They have they, not. Yeah. Yeah, they they never like uh, had any experiences at sleepaway camp together. That's definitely yeah. not something that I'd, they don't I'd, read as having been married for fifteen years. Yeah, which no, is definitely. how they read as right. Um, and so, but she's also like she's doing all these crazy things, but she's very measured about it, and she's doing it for the right reasons. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying here oh, is so that just like, a really quick name check. One other character uh, who expresses that stoicism, of course, Thrawn. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. Thrawn. Who's, uh, yeah, the big, the big bad, the Grand Admiral, the, the Grand Admiral, who's who is. Like many of the, this movie is similar to Paw Patrol, the mighty movie in that in in only one way, uh, which is that the dogs all ride in emergency vehicles. No, the only way in which it is uh, similar to Paw Patrol, the mighty movie is that it doesn't bother to explain to you the things from the previous stories that, uh, that make the things that are happening now important. But that's okay. Uh, So I wait, 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 I want, I want to, to, Oh God, what what is the awful corporate speak? Double click. I want to double click on, on that, but I'll, I'll let, we can, we can, Cash out this whole this whole arc before we uh, before we go go into that. But I want to talk a little bit about lore, if that's okay. Oh, of course, of course. So what I'm suggesting here is that this whole show was built with the idea that Rosario Dawson's, and this is my sort of my reading of it, that Rosario Dawson's performance as Ahsoka is a cool thing and a good insp- it's inspirational, right? It's uh, it's mm-hmm. it's I feel inspired looking at this performance. I want to see more Star Wars like that. I want to see more Star Wars of that pace, of that tone. So if you what you were really doing was an Ahsoka character study or an Ahsoka like protagonist journey, you would probably want there to be more characters in the show who are not like Ahsoka who are different from her, right? Because then the ways that she is who she is would stand out more. But really, this show all is kind of matching her vibe uh, to a much greater degree than I would have expected. Uh, and in that, that has good things and bad things about it, right? Um, one of the bad things is the pacing is just super slow because yeah. there's nobody to, like, the robot is who's played by David Tennant, who is not exactly a guy who, like, I mean, he did fly off the wars Converse and ran through the library and all that stuff. You know, he's, uh, he's a little bit goofy when he wants to be, but, like, he's not a... Uh, a bonkers presence. He's not Joan Rivers as a robot. In this no, movie. but he's wirier. I mean, he is yeah. supposed to have. He's he's not Joan Rivers. Well, I mean that that can be said of literally everyone, Pete. <laughs> literally everyone who is yes. not Joan Rivers. Pete Fenzel, I got hell of a podcaster, but he's no Joan Rivers. You know that's fair. That's totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know who's supposed to bring bring the anti Ahsoka energy in the show is Chopper, and there's not nearly enough Chopper in the show. <laughs> Chopper so is Chopper awesome. important? Is Chopper important? Who is Chopper? He was from the Rebels uh, show. Chopper's the, the red sass- robot. robot. He's the red. He's the red. Yeah. Not an R two. Yeah, I mean, is that an R two? Ast- Astromech of that. He's the but same he, class. he hangs out with the with Carson, who is the who is the X wing pilot from the Mandalorian show. Who is also the, sur- the the grocer from Kim's Convenience? Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> okay, it's canon. Okay, of course, of course, of course, of course. This is a lot. Like away. I said, there's a, there's a lot of lore. And, and then he, there he is. Up. He's in Kim's convenience, and he's saying, "Look, you know, Balin, we need to get bok choy, rice noodles, kimchi, and then Balin's eyes just travel across yeah. the screen." <laughs> And what you don't know, go to John. You know, like that's the, you know, that's that's the shopping list. And then Balin, like inexplicably, looks back and reacts to something. I don't know what he's reacting to. I don't know what he's thinking. Sadly, sadly, we have lost the actor, right, who played Balin. That is, yeah. Yeah. I I thought. I mean, 
I was, aside from thinking that he was great, not really being familiar with him, thinking he was great in this and being like very sad that that that, that had happened, I thought practically about like, what do you do? I think you just have to recast and not acknowledge it, right? You have to do a, um, uh, uh, what Bryce Dallas Howard, Rachel LeFay situation in the Twilight movies, you know, review your Twilight lore if you're not, not familiar with that, that particular recasting. But no, like, what you do is first shot of the next season, he gets struck by lightning and transforms into a giant octopus. And then he's just a giant octopus for the whole rest of the show. Got it. <laughs> all CGI, all gurgling, no talking. Uh, it's elegant. That's called so, elegant writing. Right so there. you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, you're going to trade Balin for Baleen. <laughs> Wait, no, that's whales. That's not, that's not giant yeah. octopods, but the, but man, like, uh, okay. Can we tell, can we, can, yeah. can we talk about the space whales? Because the space whales are like majestic. They are soul stirring. I, I like, I was never happier. Like I experienced real joy. I experienced a real jouissance de texte when I like, when I encountered the space whales for the first time and I gathered the space whales. I, I learned from the internet subsequently that the space whales had appeared in rebels or something uh something like that very briefly in mando season three oh yeah it's a blinking visit sort of thing i loved the space whales and when they showed up and morgan Elsbeth was like nuke the space whales i was like this is like someone tell unesco or something right someone tell galactic oversight of the you know incredible biodiversity of uh the the intergalactic planetary planetary intergalactic this is, this is interesting can, can because, here, I right? because i loved the space whales and you yeah. cannot you cannot do violence to a majestic creature uh, such as that it's like the it's like whoever the asshole was who cut down the tree in the who cut down the tree in that robin hood prince of thieves shot oh, uh, man. you know so like a a loss to all human heritage and and Yoda species heritage and hut heritage and all all intergalactic heritage ever, everywhere. I'm sorry. I like I like the space whales. Long yeah, well, so short. let me tie it back into the lore thing because I think we want to talk about that, right? This is an example where you didn't have to be steeped in the lore and there's a crazy amount of lore with these space whales to care about that scene to feel like there are some stakes and for you to have some emotions aroused, right? Matt, what you probably didn't know, and also I only know because I saw like there was an insane like rapid fire YouTube recap video. Yeah, you I probably didn't know, know is that like the space whales have a very important uh, thing to play in a uh, part to play in the backstory for all of this. It was the end of the, the show Star Wars Rebels where they used the space whales to spirit Grand Admiral Thrawn away from the Star Wars galaxy into the other galaxy and like uh, Ezra um, like used the force to ride the space whales and also uh, capture Thrawn. So like that's why the space whales are important. And there, there's probably like a ridiculous other additional amount of lore going on, which I'm not aware of. Um, but that's like so like that's like what you just described. There is one example of how like the show can like put something new in there and like uh, have it resonate for audiences who are new to it, uh, while also um, provide enrichment to audiences that know up all the lore stuff. Now. That being said, all the other stuff, including the aforementioned Night Witches of Death Mirror and uh, their and magic spelled with the J and a C uh, and all the spooky stuff like that. And the rest of and a K, Mark, the rest and of the a K, rebels, right? M-A-J-I-C-K, and right? And all of the, the copious rebels backstory and Clone Wars backstory. I feel like this show 
was not kind of shepherding the audience along um, to either present the lore in a way that allowed you to care for the characters um, or just kind of like, you know, dispense with it or just in general, like give you more things to emotionally latch on to kind of on their surface, especially the stuff with Sabine and Ahsoka and with Ezra as well. Like the amount to which this show kind of just like whiffing on this was kind of staggering. I mean, that's kind of like that's that's I, I wish I'd be more charitable about it. But I ended the whole thing there that ended the show. I was like, wow, like I'm in like the top like 10 percent of 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 knowledge base here just by the fact that like I've seen the witches of death in here <laughs> in a thing. Um, right, right. And I'm I'm like, that was all kind of strange and didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> like Matt, Pete, Matt, like you guys, no, th- so the Star I, Wars the Jedi games, you don't know the Mike. I want to talk. Are. I want to talk about this a little. Well, no, I had no, yeah. I had no idea what the hell was going on for 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 a lot of it. Yeah. That that did not. Uh, Matt, I'm looking at my backpack and I'm emoting about it. If okay, there's anything else it, yes. that's happening, sorry, that's I understood. Real. I, I understood that that was. I understood. <laughs> right. No, that's that's a very good thing. Moment to moment, I was right there. I was right there with it. It's like they you are know, walking on some grass right now. She, it's she taking is, a while. She is in that backpack, right? Yeah. Like these swords are going pew 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 pew. Kachang 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 kachang. Um. No, like, okay, cast your mind back uh, to uh, a little film called uh, The Lord of the Ring, Lord of the Rings Two Tower, The Two Towers, right? Sure. And when that film came off, out, and it was like the first shot of it was Frodo and Sam like climbing a mountain. There was no explanation, right? There was no like Galadriel voiceover of like, when we last, you know, previously on Lord of the, <laughs> on Lord of the Rings, right? None, none of on that. The last episode of Lord of the Rings Z. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, the, the, there was none. And it was actually like in some reviews, contemporary reviews that I read, uh, this was actually called out as being a good thing. Like, hey, you know, the director, does, Peter Jackson, doesn't like need to kind of explain, is not uh, coddling or pandering, you know, um, is being a little more austere, a little more kind of devoted to the to the source material, using time to move the move the story forward. Right. And and then, like, let me like also bring in maybe like a writing style kind of like the West Wing where a lot of stuff is not, you kind of have to in, infer backstory from context and the way it's, um, you know, the way it's, it's the way things are talked about kind of obliquely. And that, you know, that I also like, I'm less a, I'm less in the bag for, uh, for Aaron Sorkin's writing than, than I was in the early 2000s. But I think we all are. I think we've all been on that journey together. We've all ridden that particular space whale to another galaxy. And now we see things very, very differently. So that's like, you know, but that, but that, you know, at the time and even still, like, you know, how people talk about things, like not, you know, um, to really, really avoid the, uh, as you know, Bob, the space whales are a very important part of our, of our galactic heritage, you know, 
um, really avoiding that. I appreciate it. And yet something was missing here, right? And I can't, I can't totally account. Like, apparently there was an owl in the last, uh, in the last episode and it was like a consequential owl. I feel like I'm in the Big Lebowski. That was a consequential owl, dude. Uh, that, you know, that went, and I don't understand. I don't know why. I don't, why actually, speaking of the Lord of the Rings, why were there big Lord of the Rings? Why was there a Mount Rushmore? Uh, oh, in, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit why, Matt. Uh, I mean, because okay, it has I don't, to do, it I don't has actually to do, need to know, but yeah, no, it has go, to go do, for it. No, this is, it, is, it is important because it just, again, it goes to the, the insane lengths to which the show is hiding things from you, <laughs> which is that the statues have to do with, I, 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 I poop you not, Matt, time travel in Star Wars. Okay? The, the statues have to deal with these figures that are part of this time travel thing that Ezra has the ability to do, and it's pretty... Um, it's highly likely that's what Balin is referring to when he says he wants to go back to the beginning and break the cycle, all this stuff. He wants to somehow enter the world between worlds and access all time and space in the Star Wars universe because that is a thing in the Star Wars Rebels show, and that is part of the lore that um, probably informs this and is kind of nuts. See, like, that sucks. <laughs> yes, it does. Thank you for saying that. Well, no, it's time travel in Star Wars sucks, right? Because Star Trek is the time ta- travel show, and I don't know if we need to tell Dave Filoni this, right? But those are two different franchises. Uh, you shouldn't do the things that you do in one in the other. And Star Trek is the time travel, the time travel franchise. And I don't know what, like, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to, are you, are you going to have a mission, you know, go back in time and then like, uh, the, what, you're going to be like crawling underneath the catwalk while like Luke and Vader and the Emperor are having the climactic duel in, uh, in episode six. But like, you know, you're, Ezra is like hanging on there or something like, you know, uh, going up and he like looks up and like, Oh, Luke's hand fell down. Oh no, sorry. Wrong movie. But like, that's a, <laughs> ah, you know, and he catches it. He puts it in his bag and he takes the hand back to the future, back to the, I mean, like it's that, that sucks, Mark. That just, it just, I, it, just, I, I, I don't mean to make you responsible for this. I realize you're not, you didn't, I'm just, you didn't, a, I'm just the messenger. Just, I'm just, I'm just the protocol droid here. That's faring a message. Count counterpoint. Uh, Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka uh, hiding behind trees and engineering the victory of the Ewoks in a way that estranged every <laughs> else. <laughs> oh, that's how all the stormtroopers <laughs> fell off of their Ooh, hover good. motorcycles yeah. in the forests of Endor. Head. Exactly, exactly. On the forest moon of Endor, where planetary bodies can only be one thing. The forest moon of Endor. It was Actually, Ahsoka there, you know, take, taking out some stormtroopers with a baseball bat. I love that. Okay. I, you know okay. what? I was wrong. I take it all back. <laughs> so to, to tell at it from a slightly different angle and maybe make this not yet another Star Wars Rage podcast because God knows there are enough of those in the world, uh, is there, there, was a, there was a more important element of that that really mattered to me as I reflect back on the show. Which is that I don't know who Ezra is. And it's not like I just don't know that he's a Jedi or I don't know that he's like a Jedi that doesn't have a lightsaber or that he has a beard or like that he he likes an owl or whatever it is that he does. I don't it's more like the central I, I looked back at this show after the ending and I thought, what were they doing? Like what was what was the key? Uh, This is a show where there are tons and tons and tons of moments taken for all sorts of little choices 
for the actors to make choices. And everyone kept talking throughout the entire season about this sort of very important choice that people were going to have to make. And and looking back at what happened at the end, I'm like, well, when did they make that choice? And it occurred to me, well, of course, they were saying it the whole time, right? Which was uh, the, the choice is that either, right, you're going to you're going to go and save Ezra or you're going to stop Thrawn from coming into our galaxy. Right. Like you're going to the, the fallback option is to destroy the map. The fallback option is to blow up the the space, the Star Destroyer. It just keeps it comes up several times. Right. That it's like, um, well, we, we could not go. But if we don't go, we can't save Ezra. Um, and I want to go a little bit more into that. But the first thing I want to mention is, like, if I have no reason to believe – not only to believe that it's important, because I can just take on faith that it's important, but to feel a connection, you know, or to, like, understand their relationship or to, to – I'm relating to these people and seeing them relate to each other. And they're all talking about this person who's not there that I've never met. And, and, I, and I wonder if – that choice, if the weight of that choice for them is not something that I as an audience member really can participate in until after I know who Ezra is. Ezra should have time traveled to the beginning of the season so that we'd know who he is, even if it would have risked a Willow the series problem where we just have a character walking around by himself doing nothing for like a whole bunch of the season of the show. But like um, I mean, but they tried no, to do that with hologram Ezra's recorded message. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't think back. he actually should have done that. The main the main issue here is like. For me, yeah, sure. I don't know who these witches are. I don't know what the green sword is all about. I forgot that Morgan was the same person from the episode of Mandalorian. <laughs> I didn't know that that was the same same lady. <laughs> like, uh, um, and and of course, like I, I even I who have read the old Timothy Zahn books don't really understand intuitively, like in my gut, why. F- Thrawn, not understand, but feel that Thrawn really is that like huge of a problem in this specific context. There's this right? brilliant tactical genius is always one step ahead. Yeah. So Which, and they don't give us anything to anchor on early in the season about Thrawn that's specific that would give us the impression that he would actually be a problem. Yeah. Right. Um, it's like, oh, man, if only that guy who yelled at me and killed himself had had better management, he could have been a real threat. Right. Like uh, it's like, ah, <laughs> like that's, that seems like kind of a stretch. Um, because remember that scene where that guy yelled at it, yelled at everybody and killed himself. Uh, that was, that happened in the show. But, but the idea being that like, okay, cause I know that I know at least a little bit about how the sort of Filoni style of star Wars works. And my sense for it is that ch- the choices that the characters make in the context of the bigger story are always really important. It's a kind of reduction of the galaxy story to these super operatic individual moments between characters. You're always supposed to understand the context. You're supposed to know what lightsaber form they're using because it reflects their emotions, right? Um, I'm thinking about the the one scene from Rebels I've watched many, many times is the Darth Maul-Obi-Wan fight, which I won't spoil here, but which is like a very poetical and extremely well-told, mostly nonverbal scene in a cartoon. Uh, and, but it's like very, that's my baseline for what Filoni is doing. So it's like, okay, this whole thing with like Ahsoka is training with Anakin in another dimension and he's pressing her with these questions. She's being prompted to make some sort of important decision. And, and I look back at the end of the show and I don't feel like I understand when that decision was made or like what was motivating it when it was made. And I wonder if part of why I feel lost is like all the times that they were talking about Ezra, I just had tuned out and was not listening 
because I don't know who Ezra is and so I don't care. Would you say that you were right? focusing like, on, on something that is better than Ezra? <laughs> it probably doesn't deserve. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I guess they should have, they, they should have, they were assuming that if all they had to do was mention him, that I would be instantly and totally invested. Yeah. They're really saying that if I were in for an Ezra penny, I would be in for an Ezra pound, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but you know what they failed to do? Make it new. That's what yeah. they failed to do. Make it, make it new. Speaking oh, of the anxiety. But, but so, okay, so like... By the way, that uh, alternate dimension where Ahsoka meets up with Anakin is uh, likely the aforementioned world between worlds. Which is where the Bill Nexus and Ted take their, their, uh, their, their telephone booth. The, right, circuits, when the circuits of time. <laughs> wow, Rufus. <laughs> but okay, so, so to give the show a little credit, this central dramatic question, the thing, because this is not a, this is a show that has a ton of, the other side of Wait, that what is was, sh- what was the central dramatic question? I I'm, thought, that's I what mean, I'm trying to articulate. Okay, now. well, what's, what's good, up? good. Uh, Cause my, my take was that Pete, it was, it was, uh, Ahsoka being like, am I a man or am I a Muppet? You know, and that's mm-hmm. uh, it shares that with, with Jason Siegel from the Muppet movie, right? That, that like, uh, uh, Are you that, saying that just because Yoda is is in charge of the Jedi, or what do you mean by "am I a man or am I"? A well, woman? no, she's like, "Am I? Am I? You know, am I a warrior or am I a peacemaker?" You know, right? Is the yeah. like the whole thing, the the whole between worlds scene? With and I, I, I'm sorry, I was not super invested in that. I was not super invested in that choice. I was also not super invested in, in Sabine going to. Uh, going to find Ezra for the, for a lot of the reasons that you've articulated and the kind of the gestures. I, I think it's interesting from a storytelling point of view to, to like think about why the kind of the gestures at explaining the stakes were, uh, were not adequate, right? Because when she was, when she was kind of moping around and being sort of adolescent and petulant, um, on blah, blah, blah world, uh, where Ahsoka went to find her, you know, the, the, uh, like, uh, where's, uh, you know, Bueller, 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 where's Bueller? And she's, uh, you know, off in a, in a motorcycle chase. That's like, um, it, it was so obvious. It's so transparent that like, Hey, what's going to happen is you're going to stop being adolescent and petulant and like learn what's important and, you know, take some, take some things, uh, take some things seriously. Like, like, you know, and, and yeah. that, that made me into Dean Strickland and I don't, I don't appreciate yeah. that. Like, that's not, you know, I don't, or principal Strickland. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't appreciate that. Like, do you even care about going to college Sabine? Do you even care <laughs> But that you know, so so like I have to. She's like twenty five. I don't know how she old she is. This movie, <laughs> but like something something that's you have to like you have to actually make the audience feel. You can't just kind of gesture, or you you can't just kind of like play act the character feeling something without making the audience feel it too. Like I have to be petulant. I have to resent authority. I have to resent Ahsoka. I have to, you know, like in that, that I guess maybe like if you had like, I, I, you know, read the entire course packet and all the reserve reading in the library, you would have gotten, uh, you would have gotten it, but I didn't, uh, I didn't get it either. And like, you know, the, the, um, the, the other thing is that like, Oh, Ahsoka, like, you know, am I, am I, uh, 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 you know, Glenda the Goodwitch saying, are you a good Jedi or a 
bad Jedi? You know, are you like, are you just there to fight and kind of make war and like find an enemy and, and, you know, close on the enemy and destroy them? Or is it, is there, you know, I don't know, something, something else, right? Like, are you, are you one of the owl people? Uh, or, or something, you know? And I, I don't know. To me, that wasn't, I, I wasn't as thrilled by that, that scene in the world between worlds, uh, with Hayden Christensen uh, being by like, oh, fight, fight, ha, fight, which, you know, again, we saw his force ghost at the end and he was like, ah, just as I, you know, nodded like approvingly, just as I, as I thought, you know, and that's, uh, uh, right. you know, that, what like, does she do before that moment? She slices her on his apartment with a lightsaber. What does she do after that? Slice around and part of the way. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the second the half issue, of it, they just happen right? to be zombie stormtroopers. Oogie. Which is kind of cool. Death, death, yeah. death troopers, no? Isn't that night what we call night, yeah, night troopers? troopers. Oh, they're night troopers and night death troopers? troopers? Yeah. They're not dark troopers, because those are different. Those different. are from Mandalorians. There's dark troopers and death troopers. Death. Does, and then they evolve into moon troopers after you give them a moonstone. I don't know. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> and that's that's a great the, the, the theme song of the moon trooper. <laughs> So, okay. So looking into this a little bit, the other, the other interesting thing about this sort of style of Star Wars, I think, is – and I don't – from what I've gathered from reading other people's opinions, this is not a totally off-base claim – that Filoni is better at the big storytelling beats than he is at the dialogue. Right, and that like uh, that the dialogue it, in this was dreadful. Yeah, Holy so like crap. the dialogue in this in this show is just straight up inadequate to the story that it's attempting to tell. Uh, I particularly hated the moment where Balin said uh, that sometimes you have to destroy in order to create, and then like shortly thereafter is like, oh, we have to have a lightsaber duel. This is cliche, and it's like, dude, you were just super duper cliche. What are you talking about? Right, like this is beneath you. Um, also, <laughs> I, I don't believe that you actually believe that for a second. You're clearly hiding your true intentions. Uh, but but there's Ahsoka, a lot of sometimes you have to break some space eggs and make a space omelet. <laughs> yeah, perfectly balanced is all things should be. Yes. <laughs> um, but but okay. But if we were actually to consider the proposition, right? So Ahsoka murders lots and lots of people. She does it all the time. She there's never yeah. been anything in the Rosario Dawson Ahsoka portrayal that suggests that she is even a little bit uncomfortable with killing people. Right. Like like she walks in there. I mean, she clearly doesn't like want innocent people to die, but she definitely is a she doesn't hold back. You know, she is. And in that sense, you know, to the sub to the subtext and theme of this show's credit, like she is Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. She is Darth Vader's student. She shows up. People going to die. Right. Uh, Gungans, too, if necessary. And the, and the women and the, not only the men, but the Gungans. Um and uh, sorry, not that's, the, that was a terrible, not terrible the, not the gunglings, <laughs> the gunglings. Yes, not the gunglings. But uh, but OK, so what is it? I was trying to think about a cool way to interpret this scene that might I might be able to read into it to make it more interesting uh, than what it apparently is, because it apparently is a pretty stupid Karate Kid 2 scene where it's just like, what if we didn't fight? What if we just didn't fight? Wouldn't that be better? But he's like overtly saying that if you don't fight, you're going to die. Like you have to fight. And the, and the challenge is not to fight or not fight. The challenge is to recognize what is going on in the situation that I'm not telling you. Like what is what is this the information that you have that you've had this whole time that you're missing? Right. And that's that's kind of like I have one last thing to teach you. By the way, I'm going to flash back to our first lesson because I actually hid the biggest thing I was going to teach you in our first lesson. Um, that's cool. This is all cool stuff, right? And so thinking about it, 
it's it should be really important that not only does Ahsoka get Ezra, right? But she's like relatively chill with Thrawn getting back. Right. Like she's like she's not only is she like she not only does she decide she doesn't decide like, oh, man, you know, it kind of stinks that Thrawn's going to get back. But Ezra's my friend. And like, I can't even let this one innocent person die on my conscience. You know, the warriors will fight Thrawn. They'll all deal with it. But this is the choice I have to make. I have to say I have to save Ezra. I have to flip over the trolley car in order to take this guy off the track. Right. That's not what it is, because she's like totally chill with Ezra going back, which is weird, because for the whole beginning of the show, She's very anti-war. Like she's she's a she's a she's a stone cold killer who is very anti-war. And she keeps trying to raise to everybody how stupidly cavalier they're all being about the like increasing likelihood of war based on like all the things that are happening. Uh, and how bad war would be because she knows how bad war would be because she was there, right? And she was a child. So her therapist also knows how bad war is because she has to talk about it all the time in order to maintain her, her light side peace and calm. But the, the idea is like, okay, so she's anti-war but pro-violence, right? She is very committed and very murderous but not uncontrollably angry. Right. She is uh, and she or she's having this sort of wrestling match with her with her with her teacher who's trying to teach her this one thing. And, and you know, the, what, the thing I eventually read into it, right, was that the lesson is what happened to Anakin and how is Ahsoka going to prevent what happened to Anakin from happening to her? Because people keep bringing that up, too. And I think that there's something that was that was lost in the way that it was directed or the way the shots were composed or the way things were written or the way it was performed. But it seems based on what was said that it's important that Ahsoka not become Darth Vader and, and that the situation in which Ahsoka becomes Darth Vader is a very, very, very bad situation. And it's not entirely unlikely, but she sort of, you don't really believe that she's going to become Darth Vader. It's crazy. Right. Uh, but you know, I think it's, I think that it's sort of a failure of the show to not get across the idea that it's possible. And what I'm suggesting is that being involved in a war does to your brain what watching Star Wars has done to Matt's brain, right? Which is like, <laughs> it just slowly breaks you down, right? Like like in this in the world of this show, I'm sure in real life, it's a, quite a bit of a, of a different sort of punctuated thing. But the idea being that like the circumstances where you have to fight or you're going to die, merely not fighting is not a way out. Right. You have to lead these people. You have your duty. You have your role in this in this society. And this is what you have to do. And if you stop fighting, you're going to die. And maybe it's maybe dying is fine. Go become a force ghost. Right. Maybe dying is OK. Maybe you're Obi-Wan. And when you die, you'll become more powerful than you possibly imagine. But if you don't feel like you want to die, merely not fighting is not an answer. Um, and I think that what she kind of sees is that by perpetuating the same fight over and over and over again, that's what ends up breaking Anakin. That's what ends up turning like that's in, in this in sort of fantasy world, right? Like they keep fighting and his eyes eventually turn red as he keeps asking her the same question over and over again. And I think the suggestion here is, and I'm reading this into it, is that if there is another war there, not only that, there is going to be another war between the Imperials and the Republicans. Like, it's going to happen. It might not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, but it's eventually going to happen. And if Ahsoka Tano sticks around and keeps fighting in this war, eventually she's going to get so pissed off about the reality of what she's going to have to do that she's going to fall to the dark side. So she needs to go fight some other battle. She needs to go do something else. She needs to take herself out of the situation 
and go to another situation where she can probably still do the same thing, but where she's just not making exactly Anakin Skywalker's mistake of like focusing super narrowly on like the one big thing that's happening in, around him politically. Right. And sort of and sort of narrowing him down and wearing him down until he only has one thing to be happy about, which is Padme and one thing to be upset about, which is the whole of everything else, which was his whole job. So that's that's my reading of it, which is that the the main dramatic choice of the show is when Ahsoka realizes that she has to bail. And I think she realizes this pretty early on. I think she might even realize it by the time she's on the whales. Bail on Um, what exactly? Just 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 uh, on the galaxy. Bail on the galaxy. She has to. Okay, I see. Okay. More importantly, she has to no longer be. She can't work for the Republic anymore. Like that. I think that's. I think that might be what it is. It's that. It's also tied into her whole idea of being a Ronin and kind of a wanderer. Yep. Yeah. yeah, It's like she's doing the right thing in all the places that she goes, but she can't become an employee of this government, right? Like she can't settle down here. To put not too um, fine of a point on it, it's kind of like okay, fine. Like Thrawn can go back and like you know do his you know uh, you know restore the Empire stuff, and the Republic can fight that out. But whatever, I'm here to fight to save this one person, my friend. And so you're she, saying, she, and then also like we're now stuck on this planet here, and we're, we're where we need to be. I think is basically where our line is. And you know, we're, no, she's actually sorry, she's not stuck on the planet. That's she's stuck with um Sabine. Um, and, yes. and they're just gonna, just going to chill with that. Who didn't have the? I guess she did make her choice. But I'm I'm suggesting it's sort of the Buddhist in her, right? Which was like, you know, or the Taoist even, right? Like. Thrawn was going to come back. It was going to happen. We weren't going to be able to stop it. Um, and even if we did stop it, it would probably be somebody else. You know, like this is just what's going to happen. Trust the force. Hey, How many times of, did she say that? Right. Like the force, yeah. the force is OK. You know, trust the force on all this. Speaking of Dallas and Pete, are there two dragons fighting over Pearl in this movie? In this, in this TV show? <laughs> oh, there totally are. Right. It's it, they're totally. Oh, isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah, yeah There's a light totally, dragon yes. and a dark dragon fighting over a golden pearl. <laughs> Oh man! For those of you who uh, who who have not been listening, yeah, everyone to the podcast, everyone knows we, we don't we don't explain the lore. We don't right, explain right, right, the right. lore. <laughs> look, this is a callback to either, depending on how you look at it, the Dwayne the Rock Johnson throwaway movie Skyscraper, or the entire history and tradition of Chinese architecture, <laughs> like one of those two <laughs> and public art. But yeah, the sort of the the trope, right? Yeah, of the. Uh, of the two dragons fighting over the pearl and the pearl is sort of like life and the future. And, and, uh, and I guess in this case, it's like the force gods or the time gods or all of reality or whatever. And that like Ahsoka is better off going to do that rather than continuing to fight in a war where she won't have any choices and will eventually like become a Sith. Um, because man, she's tough enough when she's light side. Imagine if she's on the dark side, that's no good. No, yeah, this is the idea. I don't know. Can't do that. No, it's a yeah. I do. I do like that. This is a a good you know moral of the thing. Ahsoka, you are not a W two. You are not cut out for that life. You are a ten ninety nine. Right. Ahsoka hops in her whale Uber and just uh, independently contracts her way out of Dodge. Just remember. Just remember to set aside extra from every paycheck you get for the self-employment tax, because as a run as a masterless Jedi, you need to pay double the social taxes that an employed person uh, that an employed person pays. Um, guys, I think we might we might uh, wrap it up and, and, and oh man, we, there's so much more that we could talk about, but this is not an hour and a half episode kind of television show, is it? <laughs> <laughs>
like not enough people watched it. Maybe, maybe people watched it. It's not bad. Sure. It's not bad. It's, you know, it's slow uh, and it's confusing. Um, you know, and it, if you liked Rebels, if you if you liked if you were a person who was a devotee of Rebels uh, or even of Clone Wars, because we weren't, because um, we're too old. Uh, it, you go on our Discord and talk to us about how this show made you feel. Like, did the, were the nostalgia hits like super good? Right? Like, did it actually really work? Uh, because I'm I'm a Paw Patrol dad here in this situation, and I'm just feeling a little bit like, why is the why are they why why is the helicopter dog flying? Why is the helicopter dog? I'm not going to end two podcasts in a row talking about the helicopter dog. Um, probably wasn't even. It. But anyway, sorry. You said we had to end. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to end, Pete. We get to end. You know, instead of telling us that the podcast is over, could you send a robot to tell us instead? Would that work? Guys, <laughs> bleep bloop, bleep bloop. I just got a text message from Matt who says, <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. Thanks very much to Mark and Pete for podcasting with me. We'll be back next week. Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve.